Two Bald Pastors, episode number eight. Well, I'll be I'll be completely honest and say my partner is doing 95% of the heavy lifting. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinibaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two pastors serving in congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. Welcome, Joe. How are you? I'm very good, Jeff. How are you? I'm great. I would like to say congratulations. Congratulations? Because we are on episode eight. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the episode of all episodes as we, uh, we hit our first milestone in, in podcasting. Right. We learned when we started that most podcasts only make it one episode. And if you make a second episode, the next real milestone hurdle to get over is seven episodes. So if you make it to episode eight, then we must at least have the tenacity to keep going. <laughs> right. If that's, what, if that's a nice way to put it. Right, right. Right, right. <laughs> well, it's been fun so far, Joe, and I'm looking forward for many, many, many more to come. Yeah, me too, me too. And and. Especially, I, I really enjoyed our last episode with Keith Anderson. Um, and for those of you who were able to listen to that, uh, we had a good time talking with Keith, a good friend of ours and a good pastor. And I uh, took a lot of uh, things away from that conversation and uh, was very, very uh, impressed with, with what Keith had to share with us. How about you? Yeah, me too. I like Keith a lot. He's really got some great insights, and uh, just to ministry in general. I mean, he does a lot with social media, but just uh, his presence and way of trying to work with people is just—it's—it's it's refreshing. He's a good leader. I really like his uh, piece on broadcast versus being social. You know, from one to many versus many to many. That it's all about having conversations and. Uh, I mean, I know we deal with a lot of social media stuff. We're both interested in that. That's a focus of his as well, but I think ministry in general should be like that, right? Shouldn't it be not just one person talking, but a conversation? Right, and it's finding ways to have those conversations. And and I think one of the things that we talked about with Keith is is you have that not only within the context of your everyday ministry at the church, but there are other ways to have those conversations uh, in on Facebook or Twitter or even in the context of this podcast, we are kind of broadcasting, but we also want to engage people in conversations about their faith. So we have opportunities through Facebook, and now we have a feedback line where, where people can call in and just tell us little snippets about what's going on in their life and their faith life, or ask us questions that we can answer here on the podcast. There's many ways to, to be able to, to connect now. It's not just a uh, one or two ways that we can connect with people. Absolutely. Well, I want to get right into it a little bit. Um, we, One of the things we talked about with Keith about was his book, The Digital Cathedral. And one of the topics that he brought up is something that uh, he and Elizabeth Drescher have been working on, the kind of the phrase in cathedral and what that means. And uh, I just want to read a little paragraph that's from the book. It's on page 26. Um, it starts, this is the invitation of the digital cathedral to put ourselves in places to encounter others, to appreciate the depths of the everyday, and to name it holy. This larger understanding of both church and cathedral is essential for life and leadership in the digital cathedral. Rather than standing at the church door looking out, we need to be present in the places people work, live, and play, to enter into the sanctity of everyday life and understand the ways people make meaning there. We cannot define our culture, community, or individuals from the literal or figurative perspective of the institutional church. We must put ourselves in the places where life happens and recognize all of it as being in cathedral. I just think that's a beautiful way of looking at it. That uh, so often we, as we've talked before, uh, we have kind of these silos where we put things in our lives and we kind of keep faith at church and we kind of get on with the rest of our lives. But that being church really is not about the institution or the building or even the programs. It's it's about the relationships that we make and form, most of which are not 
in the space. Right, right, right. Yeah, we, we I think we get so wrapped up in the the life of, of ministry, whether it's it's the programming aspects, uh, building up youth programs or visitation or budgets or whatever else that can overwhelm us when it comes to ministry. But it really what it comes down to is is connecting with people and building up those relationships in and outside of the church. Absolutely. I mean, um, I know you do some coaching. I do a little coaching, too. I mean, I think of those kids that I relate to as families that I'm in cathedral with, uh, whether they come to this church or not, or whether they go to any church at all for that matter. It's, you know, it's still about supporting them and, and caring for them and helping to build them up and all the things people should be doing. Right, right. And celebrating those things that are not related to milestones in the church. For example, one of the upcoming uh, Sundays, February 7th, is Scout Sunday. Okay. So my son and, and daughter are both in Scouts, and so we were having a conversation about how can we celebrate that within the context of worship, uh, because that is a very important thing to both my kids and many other kids throughout the community. So right. what can we do as a church to be able to connect with those kids and say, yes, we value what you are doing and learning in Scouting, and we want to celebrate that and honor that and bless that. And so how can we do that in the context of, of worship and fellowship rather than just having the conversation that uh, many folks have is, oh, those scouting things, they're always camping on the weekends and taking our kids away from the church. But to, to celebrate and honor what they are doing um, and, and encouraging them in those activities rather than trying to take them away from that. Yeah, absolutely. When we had our conversation with Keith, one of the things we got into a little bit um, he created kind of this list of of ideas, basically, that was about, uh, he kind of, he was looking at things like the Rule of St. Benedict and, and some others as ways of being intentional community together that people commit to. And he came up with a list of the things that maybe could be kind of a rule for being in the digital cathedral with others. Uh, we asked him about that and he highlighted a few, but I thought maybe what we could do today a little bit is just read through that list. There's 15 of them. Uh, and then just maybe give some comments, because we, because I think part of of this, I mean, we both do a lot of stuff online, but faith is really about the way we connect with others around us in the here and now too, and you know, just to kind of say that anybody can access these and put them to practice in their own lives wherever they are. Yeah, I and I really like this list, and and I think it it is a good list for us to remember and to abide by when we are in uh, online space. But also, like you said, this is something that I think is very good for us to just to live out in our daily uh, faith life. So the first is, is be present. Isn't that uh, something to do? We, we've got uh, a million things running around uh, in our own lives constantly. I mean, I know I'm always managing my personal schedule, the church's schedule, my kids' schedule, my wife's schedule, uh, things we don't live by our family. They live mostly in the Midwest trying to figure out what they're doing. You know, and just life is, is hectic. Uh, sometimes when people, we encounter them, we have conversations, but we're not really present at all. We're thinking right, about right. all the other things we've got to either accomplish, get done, or, or you know, figure out for ourselves. But to actually be present with people, I mean, isn't that the incarnation? I mean, isn't that what God does with us, is to actually live in the moment here and to, one, appreciate it, and two, to uh, engage it in a way that's helpful, uh, because it's not always roses. Right, right. And, and I think this goes directly into number two, which is listen. And to, to fully, when, when you're fully present, you're fully engaged and you are listening to the other rather than trying to think about what you are going to say next. And I, I, yeah, right. catch, I catch myself doing that all the time. I, I, I think we all do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and to, to be present and to listen is, is to have your, your senses, everything just focus on either the person that you're engaging with, um, being present when you're in worship and, and experiencing um, church around you instead of worrying about, okay, well, after church we have 
you know, this meeting to go to, grocery shopping, the football games on at three, all these other things that are in our life, but to fully immerse ourselves in the experience that we are being in, involved in. And, and, and I am always reminded about these two things, especially when I'm up at Camp Calumet, and like I was this past weekend, and just being surrounded by the beauty that is at camp and immersing myself in that and, and really just kind of taking the rest of my life, the rest of the world, and putting a, a pause on that for a minute while I am engaged in, in the retreat that I was attending or, you know, vacation or whatever, whatever it may be, but, but, um, but not to worry about what's going on in the outside world around me, but being present and listening in the space that I'm at at that current time. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, you and I both do this a lot because we meet with a lot of people. Uh, you know, sometimes people just need to be heard. Yes. Yeah. Um, whether they're complaining about something or critical or, or, or they really have some, some deep pain that they're going through or, or anxiety that they're facing, just to be able to express it and to know that you're not just talking into thin air. Um, I mean, that's really helpful. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and to provide that space, actually, for other people to enter into is, uh, it, it's really important. And it's not just something that pastors do. I mean, we can do that with our friends and, uh, you know, with our family members, uh, the people that we encounter. I mean, you know, sometimes you see somebody and they, they look weird or, or different or you think, what's going on with that person? But if you would actually kind of create a space to be present and to listen to them, I just I think that would just help so much. And it's not about having the right answers or about uh, knowing enough. You know, it's really just about it's about incarnation. It's about being present in that moment. And uh, I think it's a gift that we have to share that a lot of people don't experience on a daily basis. Right, right, right. Definitely. And that kind of leads into the next one, which is welcoming the stranger. Um, you know, we both serve in congregations that are part of a denomination that is over 96% white. Yep. Uh, as, as the population continues to grow in its diversity and um, different backgrounds and, and such. And uh, I think it's very difficult for us to welcome people that are not the same. It is, be, especially within the, within the context of the church, because you're always wondering okay why is this person here what do they want what do you know what are they trying to get out of us or whatever and it's 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 difficult but i think it's critically important to first not go to someone who whom you might not know and and say okay what do you want but to first welcome them and say say welcome you know we're glad that you're here here's what we're about this is what we're What's going on here? You know, if someone was to come to to the church for the first time, you know, here is the bulletin. Let me tell you a little bit about our worship service. Here are the bathrooms. Here's a fellowship time. I mean, welcoming the stranger is very overwhelming for some folks, and I and I get that. But for others, it is something that can be done naturally, and and I think is is critically important. I think if you've ever been new in a situation, and I can't think of anybody that hasn't been new in a situation before, um, you just have to put yourself in that context. I mean, how would you feel if you were walking into something that you have no idea how anything works? Right. And if you can kind of look through that lens, um, you can start to be a lot more hospitable. I mean, even little things, like when we, we moved to this town a little over a year ago, you know, and we'd meet people and we'd say, hi, you know, we're so-and-so. And they're like, oh, great, you know, where do you live? And as we'd say what street we live on. And then they'd talk about some people that they knew in the area or something. And, uh, you know, just some little things like that. Just to say, oh, you're part of the community. You're not an outsider. It really makes a difference. It um, does. My, my first year of seminary, one of the contextual ed things that we had to do was to go to different churches for four to six weeks at a time. Okay. And we had a class where we would write papers about our experiences and then have conversation, not necessarily to critique what was happening in the congregations, but reflecting on our experiences. Were we welcomed? Were we engaged? Did people come up to us? And and it was 
a little deceiving in the, in the fact where some places it wasn't announced that we were going to be there. Other places it, it was. So some of the places where we were not announced, we were able to really truly feel what it was like to be uh, a new person in a congregation. And one of the one of the congregations that really had a, a big impact on me, and I still remember going there like it was yesterday, was this enormous African-American congregation in New Jersey. So out of all of the people worshiping there, I think those of us part, who are part of the class were the only white people in the entire congregation. Yep. And they had an 80-person gospel choir. I mean, it was, it was huge, and it was totally amazing uh, to, to be there. One of the things that I took away from that experience was uh, the whole four weeks that we were there, and it was during Advent, uh, we did not talk with a pastor at all. So it was one of those buildings that had like an information desk. So I went up to the information desk our last Sunday, and I said, is there any way that I could speak with the pastor? And and the person at the desk got on the radio, and then they came back and said, uh, the pastor is having breakfast right now and cannot be disturbed. And I said, okay, well, just uh, thank the pastor for us on our behalf for letting us come here and be a part of, you know, worship and that sort of thing. And they took down some information and, and passed it along. I, but I, I, what I took away from that is the importance of being available, especially as a leader in the congregation, for those who are new or experiencing for the first time our, our congregation and to make how, how important it is to make that a priority. Yeah, it's important to stand back in the back of the church and shake people's hands while while they're walking out. But to be aware of those new people in the in the congregation in the worship service and to really try to connect with those folks. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, there's so many things we do in our churches that we think are just intuitive because we've done them a million times. But a lot of times they're not. I mean, people don't know where the bathroom is. Right. They don't know what's next. Um, and it's really, uh, it can be very anxiety provoking. Yes. <laughs> I mean, one yeah. of my most uh, hospitable experiences I ever received is I went to this uh, abbey to go pray with the monks for a day. Yep. And I was greeted at the door by one of them who never said a word to me the entire time we were together, actually. But just guiding through um, facial expression and gesture with his hands told me where to go, where to sit, what book we were in, what hymn number to turn to. Uh, and I never felt lost. And I actually felt like I was in this person's care who was, you know, guiding me through everything. And even when uh, worship was over and, uh, you know, I wanted to thank him, he still didn't, he must have had some silent retreat he was on or something but he still didn't say any words but i you know i shook his hand i gave him a big hug and we exchanged smiles and i just think something like that was very small but huge yeah yep um you know if you can partner up people i mean i don't mean you know have a red flag above the new people with a big siren or something that said there they are no you're right, you're right. if you can be watching for people that are new and most in most congregations that are not you know ginormous will understand when there's new people but if you can highlight that a little bit for your people to say okay i'm going to sit with them and help them guide their way through the morning wow what a what an impact that can have that can have a huge impact definitely number four is pray without ceasing now i think this is something that is uh is so easy to overlook but also when you sit down and really think about it, we have lots of opportunity throughout our days just to be in conversation with God and to pray. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you remember back to our conversation with Lost and Found, uh, I think it was Michael who was saying that, you know, just treat your whole day as a prayer. Yeah. That whatever activity you're doing or whoever you're talking with or whatever you are are concerned about or working on it, that it's all of it's while you're in conversation with God because God's present. Yeah. Why, why have a separate time where you say, okay, God's here now. And then God isn't there some other time. I, I mean, he makes a really great point, of course. Right. So if, if God is always a part of our lives to, to just honor that in a way that keeps it going, uh, is good. I think that's really good. I think the example that Keith used in the book around this was, uh, 
as many of us have experienced, you know, people put things on on social media, Facebook or whatever, and they say something and people will respond that I'm praying for you or thinking about you or, and that can have a huge impact too. I remember the first time that I really experienced that, I thought it was weird. I was like, what do you mean? We're like praying over Facebook. That's odd. But after now it just seems so normal. It's just something you do. Somebody lifts up something that's going on and you can show support in a real, real way. Um, that honors God's presence and honors the struggle or, or the joy of whatever it is. Yeah, and even my friends who might not be church attenders, when they put something up on Facebook or when they have a conversation with me about something that is going on in their life and I let them know that I am praying for them, they too appreciate that. So I think sometimes we're scared to talk about prayer with others because they might be offended or they might not understand or they might not want our prayer. But I think when it comes down to it, when people are in need, it is something that is uh, greatly appreciated. And and, and offering prayers, um, offering to pray for someone is something that we can do for those, our our family, our friends. Uh, We have a, a weekly prayer group that meets here at the church. And occasionally, yeah, I'm not so great at it, but occasionally I put on Facebook and different groups that I'm part of, how can I pray for you today? Our prayer group is meeting at church. And when I do that, I, I have 30 or 40 people who ask have prayer requests because there is a lot of great need out there. Yep. And another colleague of ours who we had a conversation with, uh, Pastor David Hansen, he does that weekly. He's always, uh, when he's going to a meeting somewhere, I think it's usually Thursday, He'll, he'll post up, I'm going to be on the road, and I'm going to pray while I'm doing it, and what's on your mind? And people will share that, and it's, uh, it's kind of a cool way of connecting with others. That is, definitely. So number five, the next one is be helpful. It seems kind of funny that we have to actually say that that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's not like not being a jerk, but it's also, uh, you know, I think it's part of, we have something to offer. You know, the church isn't just a club that's sitting behind the door doing our own thing by ourselves, but that we should actually be kind of contributing to the things that are happening around us, um, especially the good things we see or the things we think that uh, God is somehow involved in, in making things new in the community. Um, you know, that we've got, a, we've got a voice, certainly, but we have also have assets of people that can uh, certainly add to the good. Yeah. And again, I think it's a confidence thing, but sometimes we may feel like we can't be helpful. What can I offer? But I think when it comes down to it, there's a lot of things that we can offer other people that are in our lives. And and to be helpful is, is definitely something that I think can benefit not only those whom we are helping, but also benefit our own hearts. Absolutely. Uh, the next one, number six, is be humble. I think sometimes we either have the perception that we need to have all of our stuff together or people have the perception of us that we think we know everything. Um, But, you know, we're people. We don't. We don't have our act together all the time. Um, And we don't know everything. And just admitting that, um, that we're all pilgrims on this journey together and we're trying to figure it out and we are... uh, at least from a Christian faith perspective, following Jesus while we're doing that, it makes it a lot less about us. Yeah, definitely. Number seven, get rhythm. I struggle with this area from a dancing perspective. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's about laying the beat down. It's, it's about uh, finding some rhythm to your day, right? So um, finding intentional practices that you do i mean i what do you do in the morning do you do you have prayer time or quiet time in the morning joe or anything like that yeah so i i think in all the different podcasts that i listen to conversations that i i have with folks the getting up early in the morning is is really critical to finding that rhythm and finding that flow for your day yeah, uh, to really yeah. start start in that in that space so i try to get up between five thirty and 6 in the morning and nobody else in the house is awake and I have a good good hour to spend for myself in doing the things that I need to do 
in order to be fully present throughout the day. And one of those things is is prayer time. Prayer, scripture reading, and journaling are the mm-hmm. first things that I do. I, I keep a online journal, uh, not online, but on my computer. I use the app Day One. And so I have, have a, a daily devotional that I read uh, with some scripture and some reflections. I, I journal that a little bit. And then in the process of my journaling, I I make a list of just things that I want to pray about. Um, and a lot of those times, a lot of those things are different folks within my congregation or different things happening in the world or my friends uh, or just things that I think about through my devotional time. So so that's the, that's the first piece that I do each and every morning. How about you? Yeah, similar. I also am usually the first one up. I, I realized after a while, since I was getting really busy with my church work, that I was finding very little time to read. Mm. And uh, that's that's my read time now, is uh, early in the morning, kind of before everybody gets up, um, just to spend that quiet time, either getting into a book or, uh, you know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, but it's usually somewhat faith-related, but it doesn't have to be, certainly. But just to have some of that quiet time, and then when I get... Uh, the side benefit is then when the kids come down the stairs, I'm reading. I'm not watching TV. That's kind of a good visual. Yep. But it does kind of set the tone for the day just to have some quiet downtime. Then when I get to church, I'm usually the first one here, too. That's usually more when I do, like, my, quote, devotional time, a little bit more focused. But um, to have that time in the morning is really helpful. I mean, in the, the history of the church, there used to be, uh, you know, different prayers, you'd say, at different times of the day that could kind of, like, shape your whole experience of the day we've probably lost a lot of that i think and the wisdom in it but i remember uh, being at at camp and always just kind of thinking it's almost like a, a new monastic community in the sense of you've got morning devotions and you've got daily worship and you've got you know something at night that was a way to refocus uh either your your cabin group or your family or whatever maybe as a community and then as an individual small group uh, that stuff's really helpful. It, really it definitely helps. is. It helps shape and give, well, it, it doesn't necessarily give meaning, but it helps you discover the meaning of the things you're doing and participating in and um, to, to be open to discover that. You need, you need a space. Yeah, and I think if we were to encourage folks to get up in the morning, it's not something that you you need to start getting up at five or five thirty right away. If you if you typically get up at six thirty, then schedule your alarm clock fifteen minutes earlier one day, and then the yeah. next day or a few days later another fifteen minutes, and just to have a half an hour, forty five minutes, or even an hour to have that time that you can set aside either to read, to uh, journal, to pray, to meditate, whatever would really benefit you in your faith life to have that time set aside. And I, I find when I, whenever I want to do something, whether it's, it's devotional stuff or working out or whatever, when I say, okay, I'm going to get it done later in the day, just before I go home for the day or before dinner or whatever, something comes up and it never gets done. So, right, right. so I think having that, that rhythm that starts in the morning and it'll help, focus you and center you throughout the day and it'll carry you carry you all the day long yeah and there's also stuff at the close of the day i know that both of us try to do the faith five with our families yes that's yep. uh, you know sharing highs and lows and it's reading a piece of scripture it's talking about it praying and blessing one another um that's a great way to focus the end of your day as well and we'll have more to share on that when we talk with uh, rich melheim coming up in a future episode Great, great. The next one is curate good information. Yeah, there's a, a Len Sweet quote that I really like that is, you know, in a former age, this isn't the quote, but, you know, in former times, more like modern times versus kind of like our more digital postmodern time now, um, you needed a sage on the stage. But really now what you need is a guide on the side. Oh, there you that go. I like that. That rather than like one person imparting information, which is the way we have communicated for a few centuries, because you'd have experts in fields that could really do that. Now there's just so much information out there, which you really need is someone to help you disseminate it all. Right. 
to help right. you figure out this is good information and this this stuff is really just bogus. Right. And you, I mean, even just look on your Facebook feed, how many little things are chimed in there and you know 90% of them are just total crap. <laughs> and yeah, but every once in a while you'll find a good one, you know. You need, you need conversations with people to kind of help them discover what is good information that's out there. And, um, and we can do the same thing in the life of the church, is to say, look, there's a lot of stuff that people produce, but this is, this is stuff that we find that's you know, really helpful from where we're coming from, from a grace perspective. Yeah, and I had a conversation with a friend who said, you know, why would I go to church when I can just go on Google and I can listen to the world's greatest preachers and listen to music and, and find all this stuff? And I said, well, you know, when, when you go online, it's just like anything else. You can find what you want to find, and you won't necessarily be challenged by what you find online. So what what we are uh, doing in the in the church is to take what we find and what we have studied and what we I- interpret and and we present it to you in a way that hopefully will be relevant to your life. You know, when you listen to some preacher in in New Mexico and you live in you know northern Maine, that that preacher is not going to know your life. It's not going to know who you are, your your joys, your struggles, but that pastor and that congregation is going to know who you are and is going to know your joys and your struggles and, and really speak to you, speak to your heart more than, than someone who, who doesn't know who you are. Well, I think you hit on to something there is, I mean, could you go online and listen to the best music? Of course. Could you find some really outstanding preachers? You probably could. Will you have relationships with any of those people? Probably not. Not at all. Uh, and, and so that's, I mean, we are kind of in the relationship business, I suppose. So that's, uh, that's a big part of what a community is supposed to be about. Right. Right. So the next one, number nine is convene conversations. I think this is really interesting, um, because for a couple of reasons, one, a lot of conversations, it seems like don't happen. You know, we, um, our media is set up in a way where you listen to the people that you agree with yep. or, or you, you stay in your camp. Um, and even with churches, you stay in your congregation. But if you can be to use Keith's term in cathedral, that means you're kind of trying to facilitate community building, right? So if there are other groups in town, you know, maybe you can help facilitate a conversation with the other church groups in your town or maybe the other faiths that are present in your town that, that you're what you're trying to do is kind of build bridges and connections with people not just kind of defend your corner on the truth yeah yeah and and that is critical in in growing in the person that you are you know it's easy for us to stay like like you said in our own camps and having conversations with the people that we know and already love but to go out of that comfort zone a little bit and, and have conversations with folks that we don't know or folks that we may not agree with will only help facilitate growth in our own lives and our own uh, spirits. And, and I think that is, is really critical. And, and you know, when, when Keith talks about digital media, it's also having those conversations uh, online even um, in, right. instead of being a, a broadcast uh, media, which we talk, talked about earlier, you know, to to engage folks in where they are at to really build those relationships and say, you know, how are you really? You know, what is your heart? Where is your heart right now? How are you feeling? What are your joys? What are your struggles? Um, both in the online space as well as in our own, uh, in the people that we meet and encounter on a daily basis. Yeah, and to think, you know, for so long we've visualized or conceptualized is each group is in competition with each other, um, whether it's political party or whether it's economic group or whether it's faith tradition. Uh, what if we as are, are sent, you know, kind of from a real missional perspective to be connectors, that that's really what we should be doing, uh, you know, Maybe not holding the conversation or being even the active participant in the conversation, but to help them happen, you know, to introduce right. two people that need to talk yep. um, or people that haven't spoken in a while because they've been holding a grudge forever um, t- to try to facilitate that reckoning 
Um, I mean, that's some powerful stuff that can happen. Uh, yeah, very, very powerful. The, the next one is also has a potential to be very powerful is participate in meaning making. I, I love this one because it is so critical for our lives to have some sort of meaning. If we don't, if we go through life and we are not, if we have no direction, if we don't really know where we're going or why we're going there, it's going to be so hard to really enjoy and fully live our lives. I uh, follow a blogger, uh, I think his website's ragamuffinsoul.com, mm -hmm. uh, Carlos Whitaker, and he wrote a book a few years ago um, called Moment Maker. And it, it's, it's a book about stories in his life about just being cognizant of opportunities to be a moment maker in the world around him, and especially in the life of his family. And he travels a lot as a Christian musician, so all the things that he's done and experienced. But I really took this to heart a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, when I had a conversation with my son earlier in the week saying, hey, if you ever want to have you know, friends over on a Friday, we usually do pizza and movies, go ahead, just, you know, let us know, we'll invite them over and have a good time. And he didn't, he said, okay, okay, whatever. And, and <laughs> didn't say anything else until Friday, he came home from school. And he said, I invited three friends to come over tonight. <laughs> I said, what? So I wasn't even in, you know, we had to clean the house, we had to do all this stuff and, and I uh, had to make pizza and, and, and all this. And, and it was would have been very easy for me to say, well, you, you know, you didn't get your act together. You, you didn't tell us. You, you didn't give us a heads up. We just can't do it tonight. But I said, no, you know, let's make this happen. So, you know, we went around and he helped and get everything ready for the night. His friends came over. My daughter has some friends come over. We had pizza. We watched movies, played games. I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing night uh, for all of us. And that moment could have easily have not happened if it wasn't, if, if, if we instead, if we said no, you know, instead we right. said, yes, let's make this moment happen. And they had a night um, that was fun and that was more memorable than sitting and eating pizza with each other and their dad and watching a movie that we saw, you know, a hundred times before or whatever. So uh, participate in meaning making. What is in your life that you can do to help make meaning for yourself or for other people. Yeah, and I think to go along with that, the, where we started with one and two is to be present and to listen. I mean, yeah. you don't have to tell people what the meaning is. They they know. Yeah. <laughs> or they're yeah. discovering it and they have it to share and uh, to give people a space to uh, to do that and, and to learn from others is, is really important. It definitely is. Definitely is. All right, number 11 is telling good stories. And isn't that important, that we have a story, one, to share, and that we can uh, be a collector of stories and help share those as well? Yeah, I always find the most interesting people that I encounter have good stories to share. So if you're not someone who readily has stories available to you, you know, think of a couple of good ones that might be good to share. Uh, positive, uplifting stories, you know, sometimes it might be easier to tell stories of, of all the tragedies in our life, but you know, nobody wants to hear those. <laughs> <laughs> what I was thinking about with the telling good stories is, you know, so like in the, the more modern age, you know, everything was very, you know, rational and uh, defined and, you know, this is kind of the way of things, you know, that was really how you would kind of differentiate things. Um, you know, now people really link themselves to a narrative, whether they realize they're doing that or not. Yep. Um, you know, you've got kind of the American story or you've got kind of the immigrant story or you've got the hero's story, you know, just so many of, just think of the movie industry alone of, of how many stories are actually kind of the same really. Um, uh, but they're trying to tell a good story and, and don't we have a good story? We do. We've got the good story. We right? do. I mean, it's all about inclusion and in sacrifice and in uh, caring for others. And, um, you know, we, we try to articulate it, I think, every Sunday. Uh, but it takes, it takes the experiences of people to help shape those and uh, to bring it home that this is not just something that's out there or faith isn't just a list of definitions. But it's lived in the story of our lives, and it's lived in the grand narrative of um, God's redemption of the world. 
it's a life-changing story. And for us to truly embrace that story, to really get to know that story, and then to be find ways to share that is is critical for, for growth in our life and, and for letting other people know about the story. And there are so many ways that we can we can share that story. And this this will probably be a broader conversation we can have another podcast, but one of the reasons why I love doing uh, sermon series versus always following the, the lectionary is a certain time set aside in the church year to tell a purposeful story right? Um, and, and have a, a meaning where, where people can take that story home and say, yes, I am connecting with this. And it's, it's easier to, to share that and to be able to talk about that and truly ingrain that in their daily life. And not that the lectionary can't do that, but, you know, the lectionary is, is a every week thing that, that you experience and it has a lot of great content but to to have a time set aside four to six weeks where you say this is what we're going to talk about and this is how we're going to talk about it and we're going to really hit this point home uh really hard for the next four to six weeks and uh, i really really appreciate that and 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 appreciate the freedom to be able to do that within the context of the church yeah I i i think that's good i also like to uh I tell a lot of personal stories, and it's not that I've got it figured out. Usually it's quite the opposite when I'm telling a story about myself. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the personal aspect of it is then then you're saying, this is how I'm experiencing this. And it doesn't mean that the way you're experiencing it is wrong or I'm judging the way you've experienced it, right? You're just saying, this is this is what I've come to understand based on what I've how I've experienced it, how I've gone through it myself. And then you you can kind of invite people to tell stories in that regard too. I think that's why people are so uh, sometimes afraid to talk about their faith because they're afraid they either don't have it right or don't know enough or someone's going to disagree with them. Right. But, it, but when you can say like, well, this is not like you need to believe this, but you say, this is what I believe and why. And this, here's a few examples. Now you've, now you're telling a story and uh, we are kind of story driven creatures people can access that and then they kind of start to think about their own connection points to it and uh, oh what story would i tell yep and that's one of the ways that jesus told his message was through stories or as we call parables you know what is what is the kingdom of god well the kingdom of god is like a sower who sows seeds it's like things not not clearly defined in a box right it's kind of like this yep 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 so the next one, number 12, is to disagree amicably. How about that? That is very important, but we rarely see that anymore, don't we? Nope, you're wrong. Nope. <laughs> you're wrong and I hate you. <laughs> well, that's why a lot of people don't like to go on Facebook, or I just keep picking on Facebook, but social media in general is just that it becomes arguing. And uh, as we talked with Keith, it's arguing that never has the last word. It's always coming around. You know, you can just join in whenever. Um, Sometimes just to say, okay, that's what you think, and that's all right, is okay. Right. When I see someone putting something out there in social media, a lot of people first go to giving advice, saying, this is what I think you should do. Or instead of just asking a a clarifying question or doing what the original poster wanted to, to do, in, in putting something out there, it's, well, you should do this, or have you thought about this? And, you know, when I put stuff out there, yeah, I have thought about that. But, you know, I'm, I'm not asking about that. I'm asking about this other thing. Or, or you know, and I, I try not to put too many things out there that I know that are hot button issues, because it's really, it's just not worth it. Because people are going to put their things out there and argue, and they're going to be right no matter what. And it's yeah. just... Uh, it really tears down a community, tears down relationships rather than building them up. Yeah, again, I think that's just why even when you're going to engage that even slightly, I statements versus you statements are just so helpful. Because yeah. then it's, this is what I've experienced or thought about. You're not saying, I hate you when you're wrong. <laughs> or, and I hate you, you know, whatever, how we started this little segment. But there's stuff out there that I clearly disagree with. But again, are you going to shout on the Internet? I think that's kind of silly. 
quite honestly. But that is very, very silly. You're yeah. not making connections that way, and that's kind of the whole point of, of the in cathedral piece is how can you connect with people, even and I would say especially with those who you don't share the same values, opinions, or judgments. The next is to take a digital Sabbath. So have you uh, taken a digital Sabbath before? I've tried. Um, it's very difficult. One, I think just because there's stuff that I regularly post just from work stuff, you know, like sermons or blogs. or um, So it's hard to stay off in that regard because you feel like, well, I'm putting stuff out there without wanting to have a conversation about it, which is why I put it out there in the first place. So it seems a little disingenuous in some ways to just say, well, I'm just cutting off all contact. But that's in a big, broad, sweeping, you know, like I'm going to take a Sabbath, like Lent off from, from social media. I don't think I could really do that. But if you could say an afternoon or uh, an evening or things like that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how I've done it, really. It, it's it's a challenge, but I've been trying more and more, like in the evening, like once we kind of have like our family meal and then some time before the kids go to bed to stay off. Right. And just to say this is time I'm present with my family. Right. And um, am I 100% on that? No. But it's an effort for sure. Yeah, it, it is definitely hard. And, and taking a digital Sabbath, I think, like you said, doesn't necessarily mean you have to take that you have to take the time while you're away or right. for Lent or for Advent or, or whatever. Even if you, like you said, want to take an afternoon or an evening, that is very helpful. I've, uh, I've taken a digital Sabbath more or less, you know, when I'm away on vacation and it's not a hundred percent by any means, but it's, it's how you engage. Are you engaging to what level are you engaging at? Is it, is it a, are you going on just to check email or check a couple of messages or are you going on and spending hours on it? But it is to take some sort of break, whether it be an afternoon, an evening, a day, a week or whatever is, is very helpful. And that's helpful just in general. I mean, we, we're made to have Sabbath. I mean, that's part of, I mean, not just digitally, just in general. We need to take time off. I mean, I know the times when I'm just pushing through stuff because I feel like I don't have any other time to do it. My productivity level just keeps going down. But we need to rest. Um, that includes getting enough sleep. That includes taking a day off. And I know that feels like darn near impossible sometimes. But it's important. Uh, it's important to take some Sabbath during each day. I mean, I like to, I know you go to the gym and stuff. I like to go for a walk each day. Does it happen every day? No. But the days when I'm doing it, do I feel better? And is the rest of my day a lot more productive? Absolutely. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, you think sometimes if I just work 10 hours straight, then I'm going to get more done. It, it's probably better to take a break and work less and get more done. Yeah. What do you? So you like to, during your Sabbath time, you like to take walks and, and be out? Yeah, usually, I shouldn't say this as an always, but most of the time what happens is I try to connect with Tammy at lunchtime or around then, and then midday-ish, we'll go for a, like an hour walk. It's a nice way for us to kind of disengage from what we've been doing separately all day and uh, be together, and it's also a time to, we usually like to walk outside, so it's a time to kind of get in touch with the natural world a little bit and um, actually get your, your blood flowing and legs moving and lungs filling with more oxygen. That's great. The next is to meet in person whenever possible. And that seems counterintuitive in a digital age, doesn't it? It does. It does. But I think it's it's critically important because there's so much that can be said through body language, through just uh, having that person near and, and really just going face-to-face with someone is is truly truly important it uh, is a good one i mean even just we're doing at at our congregation right now we're doing um a capital campaign and we're setting up visits to actually meet people in their homes or to meet in the meet a church too but most of them are in people's homes but to actually sit there you know make the appointment get out go visit be in each other's company for a while it's so much more effective than a phone call. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whether whatever the outcome is of the conversation, it just just to actually be in each other's company for a time, it really does make a difference. And I think people appreciate it too. And that's goes along with with uh, as we talk about and, and grow and connect with our faith. 
it is, it is so important to get together um, in person as a community um, as, as much as possible. Uh, in, who in your life do you have a uh, faith connection with and, and how can you support each other in your life of faith uh, through various uh, in-person meetings? Again, you and I both enjoy putting our sermons out there online, either video or audio. Um, people can read them, download them, whatever. And, and that's great. And that's a great resource for folks. But uh, that's not the same as, as going in person to a church and, and listening to a sermon. So you can engage, you, you can um, really feel that experience. It's definitely different. And it's true for the preacher, too. It's nice to see faces looking back at you. It is. It is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or especially when you know you're on the wrong track, you know, you could read facial expression and be like, oh, yeah, this uh, is not going. <laughs> I should just st- stop and sit down right now. <laughs> uh, that's right. So the last one is commit all you do to God. And I'm just going to read that closing paragraph since it's really the closing paragraph in the book before the conclusion. We live in exciting and challenging times, times full of trial and error, successes and failures. We are all finding our way. Trust that the God who has called you to this work of ministry, the God who has begun this work in you and the church, will bring it to fulfillment. Well, here is the, the list If you, uh, as you are following along. One, be present. Two, listen. Three, welcome the stranger. Four, pray without ceasing. Five, be helpful. Six, be humble. Seven, get rhythm. Eight, curate good information. Nine, convene conversations. Ten, participate in meaning making. Eleven, tell good stories. Twelve, disagree amicably. Thirteen, take digital Sabbath. Fourteen, meet in person whenever possible. And fifteen, commit all you do to God. Again, the book is The Digital Cathedral by our friend Keith Anderson, and uh, what a great conversation to have with you about our conversation with Keith. Yeah, I loved getting together and talking with Keith and also loved diving into this material a little deeper with you, and and I hope that this was helpful to you podcast listeners who have joined us today to learn a little bit more about how we can not only engage with one another in a digital media space, but also engage with one another in our faith development as we take some of these things and apply them to our everyday life. And, and if you're able to take some of these, uh, some of the, some of the things from this list and utilize it in your daily life, we would love to hear uh, what you have done and how that has helped you uh, connect your everyday life with your everyday faith. If you want to be able to connect with us, there are a number of ways that you can. You can find us on Facebook, Two Bald Pastors, our website, twobaldpastors.com. On our website, you will find this and many more interviews and conversations that we have done so far. What it would be great is if you could find us on iTunes and either subscribe to our feed if you haven't done it already and also leave us some feedback. You can uh, rate us on iTunes and uh, leave a couple of comments. I am Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. Be blessed. Take care. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors.